0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, June 22, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. Protecting religious liberty means protecting a broad range of activities, and it means protecting the rights of all groups of people to express their faith, or lack thereof, without government interference. Douglas Laycock is a professor of both law and religious studies at the University of Virginia. At a Cato conference held last week, he discussed what religious liberty means and how courts should treat it. For many years, I've been urging the two sides in America's culture wars uh, to respect the liberty of the other side, to concentrate on protecting their own liberty, and to spend much less time, indeed, to mostly give up on regulating the liberty of their opponents. Uh, And it's not just about sex, but it's heavily about sex. Um, I warned of the Puritan mistake, which we heard a little bit about. Uh, this morning. uh, Puritans came to Massachusetts for religious liberty and immediately established that they meant religious liberty for themselves. Uh, Anyone else had the liberty to go anywhere in the world outside Massachusetts, and that was quite enough liberty for the likes of them. Um, I'm more practical than uh, most academics. I do argue cases in the courts, but on this I'm utterly impractical. Uh, An academic voice Uh, Crying in the Wilderness, no one on either side has paid me the slightest mind. Um, But I'll try once more, Uh, maybe to a friendlier audience. Uh, It didn't always used to be this way. So some of you remember, and some of you are too young, that the Religious Freedom Restoration Act passed in 1993 with bipartisan support. The sponsors in the Senate were Orrin Hatch and Ted Kennedy. It passed 97 to three in the Senate and unanimously in the House. It was signed with enthusiasm by Bill Clinton. Um, But not only that, why did it take three and a half years from the Supreme Court's decision in employment division versus Smith to pass a bill that had overwhelming bipartisan support? The opposition came from the right. It came from the Catholic bishops and the more paranoid elements of the pro-life movement who were afraid that somehow the Religious Freedom Restoration Act was really an abortion restoration act in disguise. Um, In those days, it was widely anticipated on both left and right that the Supreme Court would soon overrule Roe v. Wade. Um, And parts of the pro-life movement became convinced that women would just say their abortion was uh, religiously motivated. uh, And the Supreme Court that had just taken the political hit for overruling Roe would then turn around and find a new right to abortion under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. It never made a whole lot of sense, but it held up the bill for three and a half years. Um, and the reason that opposition finally went away were two things. One was Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which more or less reaffirmed Roe, uh, and one was the election of Bill Clinton. Uh, if George Bush had been re-elected, there would not have been a Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Um, it was essential that uh, not only Roby reaffirmed, but that uh, the pro life movement give up, at least for the time, the prospect of appointing the fifth vote. Um, <clears throat> it was a very different world uh, 23 years ago with respect to these issues. Because the opposition to RIFRA came from the right, the hearing testimony was aimed at the right. When people tried to explain why this bill was needed, they said things like, you know. The gay rights groups are trying to make Catholic schools hire gay teachers. Uh, The pro-choice groups are trying to make Catholic hospitals perform abortions. Both of those things were true. Not as as dramatically true then as they are now, but both those things were true. I testified to that. Nadine Strassen, the president of the ACLU, testified to that. Um, So RIFRA was enacted unanimously because there was very broad support for the principle of religious liberty. The coalition was wall to wall. It was left and right. It was religious and secular. Um, The National Association of Evangelicals was part of it. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was part of it. Uh, The ACLU was part of it. And People for the American Way were part of it. Uh, All the major Jewish groups were part of it. Um, All those groups disagreed on many things. They disagreed on what government interests were sufficiently compelling to override religious liberty. And they knew they would be in court against each other once this bill was passed. But they agreed on the principle of the thing. Government should not burden the exercise of religion without a compelling reason. Fast forward five, six years uh, to 1998-99, the debates on the Religious Liberty Protection Act, after the Supreme Court uh, had struck down is applied to the states, and Congress tried to replace it to the extent possible uh, under the commerce power and the spending power. That bill died principally because the gay rights groups demanded a carve-out of all civil rights claims, and they united uh, the civil rights community uh, behind them. That was the issue, Uh, that was what killed the bill. Uh, Lots of other issues, lots of other arguments got made along the way. There were a couple of law professors who claim, Cato actually would have liked some of this testimony, uh, claimed that the bill would be unconstitutional because it exceeded the scope of the commerce power and it was abuse of the spending power and it violated separation of powers. There were about 15 constitutional arguments against them. And if you look at the minority report in the House Committee on on the, uh, what is it called, the House Committee on Constitutional and Civil Rights. The Democratic Minority Report said the bill was unconstitutional for reasons that would have made everything since the New Deal unconstitutional, Cato would have loved it. Um, And you know, you know the Democrats who signed that didn't believe a word of it, right? (laughs) But it was an attempt to kill this bill because it didn't have a civil rights carve out. Uh, Jerry Nadler from New York offered an amendment to carve out most but not quite all civil rights claims. Um, He would have allowed a a religious liberty defense uh, to um uh, housing discrimination claims within the scope of of the narrow exception, the Federal Fair Housing Act, four units and owner occupied. Um, He would have allowed an exception to employment discrimination claims. He had five or fewer employees Uh, He would not have allowed any religious liberty defense to uh, Public accommodations claims that wasn't much but it's more than is on the table now. I'm not sure any Democrat would agree to that uh, today Um, The Nadler amendment was defeated in a vote that was heavily partisan, but not entirely on uh, party lines a significant number of Uh, of conservative Democrats or moderate Democrats and more liberal or moderate Republicans crossed uh, party lines in that vote. That was in uh, 1999. Um, Today, uh, state religious freedom restoration acts are politically toxic. Um, Think most dramatically about the reaction to Indiana, um, but the same arguments in somewhat less fevered form are made with respect to any religious liberty bill uh, these days. Uh, Democrats are opposed to religious liberty. Republicans support religious liberty mostly for the wrong reasons and not including Muslims and not including maybe some other messy groups that we don't really approve of. Um, Strom Thurmond had an amendment. Uh, I think this was the, this might have been Riffer, but I think it was the second time around. I think it was the Religious Liberty Protection Act. He had an amendment to exclude Wiccans from military bases. And we had to explain to him that the one thing that was clearly unconstitutional, even under the Supreme Court's rule, was singling out a particular group by name and subjecting them to a special disability. Right? That, that that was still unconstitutional, so his amendment wouldn't accomplish anything. Right. Um, and, and we continue to have that issue with respect to people who appear to uh, support religious liberty. Um, some of the things that were said in the hysteria over uh, Indiana uh, were really quite remarkable. It would be a license to discriminate was the most common and, and among the mildest, actually. Um, a state rifra would authorize anti-Semites to refuse to serve Jews. It feels very much like a prelude to a new Crystal Knock. That's an actual quote. Um, <clears throat> maybe the most extreme specific claim came in response to the Michigan rifra, which was not enacted. Uh, It would allow emergency medical technicians to refuse treatment to gay patients. Um, Of course, it's hard to imagine any medical provider taking that uh, position, but if you understand your opponents to be hateful bigots, then you can impute anything to them. Uh, More fundamentally, if there's any compelling interest on the planet, it's emergency uh, medical care. Um, The people who claim exemptions these days uh, are vilified. Uh, sometimes boycotted sometimes defamed on Yelp and other consumer review sites sometimes vandalized uh, all three of those things have happened to sweet cakes by Melissa the wedding cake baker out in Oregon their business is now closed um, If you look at some of the recent litigation <clears throat> um, the two the interest groups on the two sides line up. Uh, without making any distinctions, line up with their tribes, uh, supporting or opposing the religious liberty claim. Uh, there, there are a few exceptions and, and I'll come back to them. Um, if you look at the two contraception cases, Hobby Lobby and Zubik, it seemed to me that there was a fundamental difference between the two cases. Not necessarily dispositive, not a difference that would persuade everybody, but a difference that I would think would persuade a significant number of people if anyone were persuadable. Hobby Lobby had to contract for and pay for drugs that it believed caused abortions. Uh, Bishop Zubik and the Little Sisters of the Poor do not have to pay for anything they object to, they don't have to contract for anything they object to, they don't have to arrange for anything they object to. Uh, That seems a pretty dramatic difference, but except for me and the Baptist Joint Committee on Religious Liberty, I don't think it made a shred of difference to anybody didn't appear to make a difference to anybody on the court um, and um, didn't make a difference to any of the amicus filing uh, filing briefs on the two sides. Uh, If you look at recent action in Congress, um, all the appropriations bills are now frozen because of the Russell Amendment and the Maloney Amendment. Um, The Russell Amendment would say government contractors keep their right to Uh, Higher on the basis of religion if they are a religious organization the amendment reaches no further than that It's confined to religious organizations religious nonprofits who have government contracts Uh, The Maloney amendment would say they're all subject to the president's executive order, which is in fact ambiguous I don't think the Maloney amendment does what its supporters think it does Um, No public statement that I have seen from either side Republican or Democrat Suggests that there's the slightest conflict of values here, or the slightest difficulty, or anything to try to figure out. One side is right. Nope, my side is right. There's no issue. Each side cares only about its own interest group. The New York Times coverage of religious freedom restoration acts now puts religious freedom in scare quotes, uh, or it says so called religious freedom bills. Uh, you may think they go too far, you may think they're a bad idea, but They're not some other category. They are religious freedom bills, right? That's not so-called, that's what they do. Um, The civil libertarian position, plainly, is to protect the rights of both sides to the extent possible. Uh, The American Civil Liberties Union has gone entirely to one side. Um, At the national level, I think there's a hierarchy of rights and religious liberty is still one they care about, but it's at the bottom. If it conflicts with anything else they care about, it loses. At the state and local level, and the ACLU is a very federalist, decentralized organization, at the state and local level, you often get local units actively opposing any kind of religious exemption. Um, All this is, in my view, uh, very sad. Um, We tell our children that America is for for liberty and justice for all. Uh, That includes religious minorities. It includes religious minorities on both sides, conservative believers and atheists and agnostics. Uh, it it, can, and it, it sh- certainly should include uh, sexual minorities. Uh, and the religious minorities and sexual minorities make essentially parallel claims on the larger society. They say that some aspects of human identity are so fundamental that they should be left to each individual free of all non-essential regulation. Sexual orientation is that fundamental. uh, And for many believers, religious faith is that fundamental. Each of those identities is routinely manifested in conduct. And each side understands that for its side, but not for the other side. It is wholly unreasonable to expect gays and lesbians to remain celibate all their lives. Uh, It is equally unreasonable to expect religious believers not to act on their understanding of God's will. Moreover, each side seeks to live out its identity in public, not in the closet. Uh, Believers practice their faith in their churches, in their charitable works, in their jobs and businesses, and and in their public lives. Uh, Equally important in our constitutional tradition, each side is viewed as evil by a substantial portion of the population. Religious conservatives think that gays and lesbians are committed to a life of immoral and disordered conduct. Gays and lesbians and their supporters think that religious conservatives are hateful bigots. Um, Each side indulges poorly informed stereotypes about the other. And each side is vulnerable to biased and unreasonable regulation in jurisdictions where the other side can muster a majority. Um, They're not exactly discreet and insular, although some of that, but they're certainly the subject of of bias and, and prejudice. Um, So, what would it look like to try to protect the liberties of both sides? Um, Women are entitled to reproductive health care, gays and lesbians are entitled to marriage and weddings and to live their lives. Um, Very occasionally, only the conscientious objector can provide those things, but there aren't many cases like that. There are some. There are cases of local monopolies in rural areas and small towns. There are cases of emergency uh, medical treatment, um, but for the most part, we can exempt the conscience objectors and without inflicting any tangible harm on the women seeking reproductive care and on the gays and lesbians seeking weddings and, and otherwise to live, live their own lives, um, the market will respond. there are plenty of other providers. so the real issue is the dignitary harm right um, Advocates for gays and lesbians and women in need of reproductive care say, we are insulted, we are offended. It's terrible when a merchant or a doctor tells us, I can't do what you're asking me to do uh, because I think it's wrong. I think it's sinful and I can't be part of it. Um, They are insulted and offended and that's a real harm and I don't want to try to minimize it but I want to note some important things about it. It does not outweigh the harm of violating conscience, on the religious side, the conscience objector who is forced uh, to provide a medical treatment that he believes immoral, or forced to assist with a religious ceremony that he believes violates God's law, disrupts his relationship with God. And for many religious believers, that's the most important relationship in their lives. Um, and for some of them, they believe the disruption is permanent. Um, they have different views about forgiveness, and I. I'm not the person to go into the theology of it, but they're disrupting their relationship with God. Viewed in purely secular terms, this is an emotional harm on both sides of the balance. Uh, But we can take it a step further than that. Uh, The offended gay couple who has to find another wedding planner still gets to live its own life, live their own lives by their own values. The regulated believer who is forced to close her wedding business or to assist with same-sex marriages uh, does not get to live her own life by her own values. Uh, The harm of regulation on the religious side is greater than the simple dignitary or insult harm uh, on the secular side. Uh, And second, this kind of insult or offense has been held not to be a compelling government interest in the free speech context. Few things are better settled than the principle that government cannot censor speech because it is offensive. Think about Cohen versus California, the fuck the draft case, or Hurley versus Irish American gay and lesbian group, the the parade that excluded gay and lesbian groups from from marching. Um, That speech, uh, the wedding vendor who doesn't want to do a same-sex wedding is conduct, um, but in, Many jurisdictions, uh, in thirty, thirty-two now, thirty-two, arguably thirty-three jurisdictions, um, <clears throat> the right to practice your religion free of government-imposed burdens is protected by heightened judicial review. In most of those jurisdictions, uh, the compelling government interest test—if it's not—if insult and offense is not a compelling interest under settled constitutional law uh, with respect to free speech. Uh, neither should it be a compelling government interest in those jurisdictions that have rejected Smith and, and protected religious conduct with a compelling government interest standard. Um, so, is there any way to get there? Any way to protect both sides? Uh, what we obviously need and cannot achieve are strong gay, strong gay rights laws, um, strong doctrine on reproductive health care, uh, and both with strong religious uh, exemptions. Uh, It's too late in blue states, the gay rights laws are already in place, and there's no remaining bargaining leverage for the religious side. There's an obvious deal to be done in Congress and in red states going forward. Um, Most jurisdictions, a slight majority of American jurisdictions still do not have a gay rights law. How do you enact a gay rights law in Alabama, um, or Tennessee, or lots of other red and reddish purple states. You're not going to do it without religious exemptions. right? Uh, If we're going to enact gay rights laws in those states, they're going to have to have uh, religious exemptions. Um, That's why um, the gay rights side is trying to bypass the uh, legislative bargaining process by uh, reinterpreting uh, Title VII and Title IX to apply not just to sex discrimination, but to sexual orientation discrimination. If that happens, and it might, um, then there will be no bargaining bargaining will be, uh, bargaining will be impossible. Um, the more alluring possibility, at least for now, is the statewide grand bargain in Congress or in red states. Uh, <clears throat> we will prohibit discrimination against gays and lesbians if the bill has appropriate and adequate exemptions uh, for conscientious objectors. And the problem with that is the problem with any legislative compromise Uh, Republicans oppose the non-discrimination law, Democrats oppose the religious exemption, and many on both sides would rather have no bill at all than to accept the part that they oppose. Um, And what I hear from people on the Hill is that it's a Um, non-starter. Neither side is the least bit interested. Both sides want to crush the other, they don't want to compromise with the other. Utah is the shining example here, but it's also uh, a discouraging story when you look at it more closely. It is now illegal in Utah, the reddest state in the country. is now illegal in Utah to discriminate in employment or in housing on the basis of sexual orientation or sexual identity. Um, that's a huge accomplishment. Churches, the Boy Scouts, religious nonprofits, and their affiliates and subsidiaries are wholly exempt. Um, <clears throat> small employers are exempt. Um, and <clears throat> the new law does not cover public accommodation, so it hasn't solved that problem. It's far from a complete deal, but it's a very important deal. It was made possible by the leadership of the Mormon Church, which could speak on behalf of most religious conservatives in the state, uh, and of several key legislators, and, and I'm told a personal relationship between a gay legislator and a conservative uh, Republican. Um, The Utah deal was immediately denounced by the gay rights community nationwide and by some scholars. They said it's not a model for anywhere else. It's only in Utah. They oppose exemptions now even for religious nonprofits. We're past the Hobby Lobby issue. Not even religious nonprofits should get exemptions from gay rights laws. Uh, And I'm also told informally that many Republican legislators in Utah hate the deal and think they gave away uh, too much. So, both sides hate it, that's usually a sign of a good compromise, um, but uh, it also shows the difficulty of doing uh, such a deal anywhere else. Well, it's been a pessimistic set of comments so far. Let me say a few things about how the glasses may be a quarter full. <laughs> um, there have been, in the last 10 years, three unanimous wins for the free exercise of religion in the Supreme Court of the United States. How in the world did that happen, in this level of polarization? All right, Um, the UDV case, um, uh, Gonzalez versus O Centro Espírita Beneficente Unialdo Vegetal, um, a small group in Santa Fe, a much larger group in Brazil, uh, that uses an hallucinogenic tea from the Brazilian jungle in its worship service, Um, 8-0 in the Supreme Court, would have been 9-0 if either O'Connor or Alito could have voted. Uh, Hosanna Tabor. Um, courts will not second guess decisions of uh, churches and religious organizations about the employment of their religious leadership. <clears throat> um, no one who heard that or argument thought it was going to be nine zero, uh, or even um, six <clears> three. <throat> turned out to be nine zero. And Holt versus Hobbs, a prisoner gets to um, uh, wear a, a short beard in the Arkansas uh, state prisons. Now. Uh, two of those cases, UDV and uh, Holtby Hobbs, <clears throat> had no interest that liberals care about on the other side. Right? There's no reason for the left-leaning public interest civil liberties groups uh, to oppose a group that wanted to get high at its worship service, or to support the uh, Neanderthal uh, prison administration in Arkansas. Um, can't really say that about Hosanna Tabor. That was an employment discrimination case. Um, <clears throat> but it was employment discrimination within the context of the church itself. And the lower courts had been unanimous for 40 years. And, and that didn't happen very often. I think the reason judges have been so unanimous about this, when they contemplate the kinds of issues they would have to decide if they started reviewing employment discrimination claims by ministers, they don't want any part of it, and for good reason. And their intuition about their own hide is, uh, congruent with the reason the religion clauses protect the right of churches and synagogues and mosques to, to choose, their own, uh, choose their own religious leadership. So, what those three cases tell you is if there's no strong interest that the left cares about on the other side, we can still come together and generate broad support for religious liberty. But as soon as any other interest group uh, that the left cares about is in play, the religious liberty claim loses. That's the situation we're in. And I'm from the left, right? I'm an old-style Bill Brennan, secular civil libertarian. I think we can do better than that. I think we can, can protect the liberty of, uh, of both sides. Let me just say one more word about the Obama administration, which is often attacked uh, for being on uh, the anti-religious side of this, and and I think that's just not true. Uh, the the Obama administration has a very mixed record, <clears throat> and a couple of times I think they've been seriously wrong. I think their initial position on contraception was a mistake. I think their current position is is quite defensible and and offers a, a substantial solution to uh, religious conscience objectors. Uh, I think their litigating position in uh, Hosanna Tabor, where they said there shouldn't be a ministerial exception. I think that was clearly a mistake. I don't think that was the White House. I think that was the Justice Department, but wherever it came from, I think it was a mistake. Uh, on the other hand, they've been terrific about enforcing the Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act. They've appeared in courts around the country. Uh, they've brought their own cases. Uh, they've filed amicus briefs in support of private cases. Um, <clears throat> And uh, the, the, the and as I said, I think the the currently proposed, uh, but still in litigation, solution to the contraception battle is is uh, is is a is a good solution. And at least, even if it's inadequate, it's not a war on religion position. It's a it's a position that goes a very long ways, trying to accommodate the religious objection. Um, and they have very quietly left in place uh, a Bush executive order uh, that says. Uh, a religious organization that gets a government grant or contract does not thereby forfeit its Title VII right to hire on the basis of religion. Uh, and they have quietly left in place a Bush era opinion of the Office of Legal Counsel uh, that says the Religious Freedom Restoration Act applies to government grants, and and an organization that gets a government grant may have a riff reclaim claim about on religiously burdensome conditions imposed on that grant. And they've adhered to those two positions despite intense pressure from their base and from a lot of organizations to support them uh, to uh, withdraw that executive order and that opinion. Uh, So in some ways, the Obama administration has been heroic on religious liberty. uh, In some ways, not so good. Um, But I think conservatives should not believe their own rhetoric about the administration. Uh, And that too. The things that this administration has done to support religious liberty are a sign that the glass is at least uh, partially full. Um, it's not all bad news, but the level of polarization, I think, is um, it, it is making it very difficult uh, to defend religious liberty. A First Amendment right should not be a partisan, party-line issue, and it is about to uh, become that. Douglas Laycock is a professor of both law and religious studies at the University of Virginia. He spoke at the Cato Institute's conference on religious liberty held last week. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.